This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello everybody, it's Matt Larkin here, senior writer at the Hockey News. It is the Fantasy Hockey live stream and podcast brought to you by Christian Hockey. A lot to talk about today because the trade deadline is over and it's a question I get all the time right after the trade deadline in terms of a fantasy context. It's which guys lost value, which guys gained value, which guys stayed about the same. So the first thing I want to do today before I get to the questions, which you can send by the way right now live, uh, is talk about some guys whose values have changed for better or for worse uh, as a result of the trade deadline. So let's start with guys who get a, a decided boost in fantasy value. I'm going to give an honorable mention, of course, to Jason Zucker. The trade, maybe it's just far enough away that it's not really a trade deadline deal, but I, I want to shout it out. It's obviously a boost for Zucker. If for some reason he's available in your league, you have to go get him because he's going to be playing with Sidney Crosby. doesn't appear that Jake Gensel's coming back anytime soon. You gotta, you're going to want to get Jason Zucker. Uh, but in terms of more recent deals... Who has gained the most value? The first one, it's a pretty obvious one. Uh, well, I want to say it's obvious, but he's available in 44% of Yahoo leagues, so I guess it's not that obvious. It's Tyler Toffoli. Uh, and it's, you know, we know the purpose of the trade that Vancouver made. It was to replace Brock Besser, who's still injured right now. Uh, but more than that, I, I often look at the price that a team paid to get a player. It often gives you a hint of how they intend to use that player. So Tyler Toffoli, Vancouver gives up a good prospect in Tyler Madden. And if you're going to give up Tyler Madden, you're not grabbing Tyler Toffoli to stick him in your bottom six. He's clearly going to play an important scoring role going forward for a team that's in the playoff hunt. He's already got three goals and five points in three games. It's not a big surprise because Toffoli's always been a talented offensive player, but he's been playing on some very defensive-minded Kings teams even when they were good. So it's kind of exciting to see him spread his wings. I'm not that surprised that he's off to a good start. You should go get him. Uh, another pair, it's a pair of guys uh, that I think a lot of people have rushed to grab already but are available in many leagues. Uh, Connor McDavid's new line mates in Edmonton, Andreas Athanasiu, he's available still in 50% of leagues, and Tyler Ennis is available in 77% of leagues right now, and it's another one, again, you don't have to overthink this, we never know when it comes to McDavid if guys are going to stick on his wing long term, but they are fast players that can kind of keep up with McDavid, especially Athanasiu, he'd be the guy I'd want to grab more than Ennis, because Athanasiu is younger, he's got a higher ceiling, he scored 30 goals in the NHL season before, uh, I think he's more likely to click with McDavid. And this is probably a craftier, more mature player. So that's worth mentioning. But just in terms of upside, if you have to choose, let's say you only have one spot available. Both guys probably qualify at multiple forward positions in your league. I would, I would prioritize Athanasiu first. Uh, but grab both if you can. Why not? And if you have McDavid, even better. Get all three. Uh, another one. This is more of a deeper sleeper. He's available in 91% of leagues. He's just been activated from injured reserve. Andre Kasha. He's going to the Boston Bruins, and he's a he's a divisive player. There are people that are more the old-school thinkers who don't see big-time results on the ice. They say he's injured all the time. He has had major concussion problems, and those people are probably not as high on Kasha. The analytics crowd, and I'm more on that side, believe that he's a bit of a sleeping giant. His per-minute and, and per-60-minute production in his entire career has been really good. Past few years, he's near the top of the league in things like goals per 60 minutes, shots per 60 minutes. In other words, if he's given a chance with some quality players, he could bust out. And so far, it looks like he's going to debut with Boston with Nick Ritchie and David Krejci. So second-line deployment uh, by the looks of it. That's already a good start. And the interesting thing with Krejci is Boston sometimes, when they want to split up their top line, they'll put Pasternak with Krejci. And if that happens, you get 
maybe Andre Kasha playing with Marshawn and and uh, Patrice Bergeron. So I think there is some sneaky upside for Kasha, and that's more of a deep league pickup, but he could, you know, you never know. This guy could get 10 points in his final 15 games, something like that. If you're in a deep league where that kind of production, it, it matters, uh, I would keep an eye on him. So let's talk about some people who have suffered a, a knock to their fantasy value as a result of the trade deadline. The first one that comes to mind is Blake Coleman in Tampa Bay. He, to me, is a classic. It's a great real-life upgrade. He's going to help them kill penalties. We've said it on this podcast, on the main podcast before. He's physical. He kind of reminds me of Ryan Callahan in his prime. Uh, And I think he's going to be a very important piece of the puzzle for the Stanley Cup for Tampa. But in terms of actual fantasy value, already, uh, since he's joined the Bolts, his ice time has gone down from 17.02 per game as, as a devil to 15.51. Not a big surprise. And yes, with Steven Stamkos a little bit banged up, maybe we're going to see Coleman play higher in the lineup. But for the most part, he's going to sit in that middle six. And I just think the opportunities are going to be smaller and less frequent than they were in New Jersey. So... Great real-life addition, but I don't know if it's going to be as good for him in fantasy. Another one is Ilya Kovalchuk going to Washington. It's a fun story. All those Russians getting together. He's reuniting with Ovechkin, his old buddy. Uh, But he was an important piece in Montreal, and, you know, he really clicked there. It seemed to revive his career. He's already talked about going back there. In Washington, he's already starting out in the third line with Lars Eller and Carl Carl Hagelin. All due respect to both Eller and Hagelin. Again, useful real-life players, but that doesn't get you excited in, in fantasy hockey. Kovalchuk played 14-39 in his first game. Uh, so I, I think that's going to hurt his value. Uh, and with the Capitals' power play so stacked, I don't see Kovalchuk getting a look on, on the, the top unit either. So again, he might provide a big goal in the playoffs, and he's going to give give some depth. He might give them a, a lift at various moments. He'll be good in the dressing room, etc. But I don't see the fantasy value uh, being aided by that trade. I think it's going to be damaged. Another one. This is a complicated one, okay? Robin Lehner going to the Vegas Golden Knights. It's a weird one because he goes to a better team, so that could help his rate stats. Uh, and he was it's not like he was a bona fide starter with Chicago. He was in a pretty even split with Corey Crawford. Problem is, now he's with Marc-Andre Fleury. And I, yes, I think you could, you could argue, oh, well, is it going to be offsetting because he's on a better team? So maybe he's going to play less. But I, it's too murky just how much Lander's going to play. Uh, maybe we get a 50-50 split. But from what we know, it's still Marc-Andre Fleury's net. And Lander is more of an insurance policy. So maybe Lander's going to play 30% of the, the games down the stretch. That's still, I think a detriment to his fantasy value. Uh, so I think overall, if it's a keeper league, different story. You never know. What if he clicks and Vegas starts, you know, they consider grooming him long-term as a successor to Fleury? You never know what can happen. But right now, if you're playing in a redraft league or you're going for broke this season, I think if Laner is your, one of your goalies, I think it hurts your team a little bit now. Uh, another category I want to cover out before we get to questions is... A few guys whose value is still, it's unchanged. Maybe it's going to get a boost, maybe not, but it's too early to tell. So one would be Mike Green. Uh, For now, it looks like he's going to be a second unit power play guy as an Edmonton Oiler. Given his age, injury history, you know, he's still a relatively high risk investment in terms of you never know when his next IR stint is coming. But he can still move the puck. And if Mike Green were to suddenly get a look on that top power play unit, and he's out there with McDavid and Drysaddle. He that's a kind of addition that if he's put in the right situation, he could get hot, and that could be a, a league-winning difference maker to add, you know, as your final defenseman down the stretch in your fantasy league. So that's someone to keep an eye on for sure. Just watch his deployment game to game very, very carefully. Uh, another one that's kind of in the middle, Jean Gabriel Pajot. You know, he might 
play further down the lineup as a New York Islander because he's joining a better team, but he's also playing with better teammates. And again, like I said with Tyler Madden in, in Vancouver, the price the Islanders paid to get Pajot trading the three picks, including a first rounder, they clearly value him a lot and they're giving him you know, a six-year deal, I believe it was, with $5 million average annual value. So they're paying him to play an important role. The money talks in that situation. So I, I don't think that Pajot is going to be buried on that depth chart by any means. He's going to be a middle six guy. So I think overall, maybe it's offsetting. It's unchanged because he's going to maybe get slightly fewer opportunities, better company around him, roughly the same player. Uh, another one to keep an eye on is Sammy Vatnin. He's still hurt right now. But when you think about why he's being brought in, Dougie Hamilton, the prognosis is still pretty grim for the rest of his season. And, you know, you've seen guys like Jacob Slavin get a look on the power play. But Slavin's not a natural offensive defenseman. Sammy Vatanen is. He's a right shot as well, like Dougie Hamilton. So when Vatanen is healthy enough, I wouldn't be surprised if eventually he gets a look uh, in, a, in a bigger offensive role, maybe on the top power play. I think it's something to keep an eye on. I know Tuvo Teravainen is also playing the point on that power play sometimes. But again, you bring in a guy like Vatanen, it makes sense to use him for what he does best. So I would keep an eye on that. Uh, and let's do some questions. Before we get to the questions, I'm just going to I'm gonna take a sip of water because I've been talking for a while without taking a breath. It's funny how you mentioned uh, they're going to groom Leonard to potentially be the, the Vegas to be the starter once, once it's over for Flurry. But it's just funny thinking about that, knowing that Leonard was a, like a Vesna finalist last year. I know. What's but the guy got to do to catch a break? It's crazy, you know. It's it, he's the, he's literally he's the physically the most gigantic goalie in the league in terms of, in terms of bulk and how much the net he covers. He's super talented. He's delivered on the talent. He's a great role model right now in terms of what he's doing for mental health. Like any team should want this guy right now. I, I don't know why he doesn't get more respect. Two of the most likable goalies. It's true. Yeah, that's a likable tandem. Likability factors through the roof. Too bad you, there's that isn't a category in fantasy leagues. And, and that's three teams in a row where Liner was on a team where the one it was kind of like almost like a one A one B situation. Mm-hmm. He just can't seem to get clear, and I think I think this coming season we're going to finally see him get his chance. And you never know if, if Flurry falters or his body starts to break down on him. Maybe you're going to see Lander thrust into a role in the playoffs, and it could be a Cinderella story. It's entirely possible that it happens. The teams that he previously played for Ottawa and Buffalo could use a guy like him. Yeah, they probably shouldn't have traded him. That's right. Uh, just a reminder, you can still get your questions in. I'm going to start going through the ones that I've received from the early birds, the early bird spe- specials, if you will. Uh, but there's time to get some more in. Okay. Uh, well, not necessarily. <laughs> you know, I, I do the early bird stuff now that I have a child. Sometimes you just got to do it, you know. Uh, <laughs> okay. First one is from Dylan Wheaton. And Dylan asks, what have been your most successful and least successful fantasy seasons to date? I'll keep this answer relatively short because it's not necessarily interesting to everybody. It could could be kind of a cool story, bro. Uh, But maybe it provides a bit of context. I'll try and make it relevant, okay? Uh, Most successful was the most recent time I won my my main league, uh, which has actually been a few years. That's the thing. You get close. I've been to the finals a bunch of times, haven't won in several years, my main league. Uh, But it was a year where I had the top two scorers in the league. I picked them back-to-back. It was Tavares and Ben, 2015. Uh, And I did something that I think you should do in every fantasy league early in the season, which is prey on dumb drops. Uh, And you look at, there's always a frustrated owner early in the season, let's say a month in, that drops somebody with a really good pedigree and get your waiver request in right away and you can steal players. I think that that year I stole someone like Tarasenko, Patrick Hornfist, guys like that were just, they are off to a slow start. And I think that's something you can practice. Every single year there's going to be a couple GMs that give up on a guy who's way too good to be dropped. And I built I built the back end of my roster that year by just doing that move. So I, I highly recommend it. Other great year would be 
uh, I can I have the bragging rights of ending the the hockey news staff pool. Uh, I won it two years in a row, and everyone quit. They quit, Stephen. They quit. I, I made them it. tap out. We don't do it anymore because because they couldn't beat me. So yeah, I guess that that's a that's a cool story, bro. Um, the le- the worst would be right now, and this is a this is a cautionary tale. Okay, so I'm dead last in my current main fantasy league. As I'm giving you advice right now, people watching, uh, because I'm in tank mode. It's a keeper league. I'm going for a record of futility. I've got the first overall pick secured. I did not pick because I went for broke in previous seasons. I didn't even pick until the ninth round of the draft this year. So I was kind of, uh, I was screwed. I got cocky. I thought I could still build a good team anyways, and I didn't. So the lesson is don't trade all your draft picks away if you're in a league that that lets you trade picks because eventually it's going to come back to bite you, which it did this year, but then, you know, hopefully it's going to be a juggernaut season next year. Uh, Let's get to the questions that have to do with just everybody, not just me, okay? Uh, This question is from Justin Longos. Kind of sounds like the the actor uh, Justin Long. Keeper league question. If you could only keep one goalie, which would you choose? Carter Hart, Ilya Samsonov, or Darcy Kemper? Great question. We actually covered off uh, our scout, our scouting buddy, Tom Thompson, wrote about this last year in our magazine, comparing Carter Hart and Ilya Samsonov, uh, predicting who would have the better career. And I'm a I'm an Ilya Samsonov guy. I'm actually going <laughs> to to get back to my own fantasy league. He's my keeper goalie right now, Ilya Samsonov. Um, because Carter Hart, I think you have great mind, super competitive guy, but in you know, you have that in Samsonov as well, but Samsonov also has the explosiveness, athleticism. He's a much bigger guy too, which, you know, you don't want to always pick your goalie based on size, but if two guys are roughly equal in skill and one guy's a lot bigger, he just covers more of the net. Uh, you also have the team situation. Again, if you're thinking keeper league, you want a guy who's in a great situation. I think that Samsonov, I'd be very shocked, even though Holtby's fought back recently, just based on salary, what Holtby's going to want as an unrestricted free agent, what they've already paid Nicholas Backstrom, it's Ilya Samsonov's net next year i'd be willing to make a big bet on that uh so his team situation is going to be playing on, on a contending team so he has a chance assuming hope he's gone samsonov has a chance to be the number one overall fantasy goalie next year it's very similar to uh andre vasilevsky's situation a couple years back when ben bishop was finally out of town and he was just you know big time prospect first round pick set set up already great on a great team around him and he immediately just delivered on the pedigree and that's exactly what i think samsonov is set up to do so to me and i haven't even mentioned darcy kemper kemper is great and i think you know if there's a zero rb approach in, in fantasy football if you're a zero goalie guy kemper is sort of the poster child for that you know waiting on a goalie in your draft uh but just based on age, pedigree, every category, every every single angle you can think of, in my mind, it's Ilya Samsonov. Unless you're a believer that somehow Holtby's going to stay with the Capitals. But financially, even if Holtby keeps playing better, because I know he's been better lately, I just don't think he fits in cap-wise anyway. So Samsonov is the guy, in my opinion. Next question comes from Justin Mass. Maybe it's my ass, Mass. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm going to say Mass. And Justin says... A lot of Justins, eh? It's a Justin overload. How do you assess your goaltending going into the draft next season with how the NHL is shaping up recently, having a solid tandem instead of one workhorse and a backup? Love this question. It's super relevant. And I did some work on this for our main magazine, and it's crazy. Right now, as of last year, we set an all-time record for the most goalies who had ever played 30 or more games. So the workload has never been more distributed. And there's two ways to look at it in a fantasy context. One is that... It means you can put a premium on the workhorse goalies. So guys like Connor Hellebuck or Freddie Anderson who or Sergei Bobrovsky who, who play a, 
a large chunk of the pie in terms of workload compared to other goalies because there are a lot fewer of those goalies in the league now, so they're harder to find, those bell cows. It's like, again, I like to compare other fantasy sports. It's like the 300-carry running back in football is a lot rarer now, like your Derrick Henry type of guy, you know, big-time workhorse guy. So there is a premium on them, but I like to look at it the other way. And to me, uh, there are just more goalies with fantasy value than there have ever been. And, you know, Robin Leonard, like the Leonard-Grice tandem is an example. Uh, you're seeing, and Darcy Kemper, of course, and Antti Ranta, every, almost every team has more than one goalie that's useful, even Anton Kidobin behind Ben Bishop in Dallas. So for that reason, I actually think it's a, the best time it's ever been to wait on goalies because there are more goalies than ever that have value. And every and every team in your league is going to be in a similar boat with you know having trouble finding a guy that can start 50 games in a year. So I think by waiting, you're hurt less than you were a few years ago, and it means you can load up at other positions. So I, that's my – I think you can slice it both ways, but I lean toward the zero-goalie approach. Steven's got some thoughts. That's kind of the thing. When I, in my fantasy hockey, I always – I always used to put a lot of attention on goalies, but then I kind of just started, you know, the difference between the top goalie and the eighth goalie is so close compared to what it was when, like, Kippersoff and, and um, Ray Broderick put 75 games in a year and you always could rely on, like, 38 to 40 wins. You don't get that as much anymore. So I've mm-hmm. always been one where I'm, like, the last guy to pick a goalie. You know, it tends to work out for me. Like, right now, my mm-hmm. goalies should be good in theory and Peter Mrazek and Carey Price. But... I'm dead last in my pool, too. So. Yeah, there you go. It's a <laughs> bunch of guys who are in dead last giving advice, of course. But it's interesting. And even if you look at um, Vezina Trophy finalists year to year to year in, in this era, they change radically. Andre Vasilevsky is, is an exception. But a guy can win the Vezina one year and kind of fall off the map the next year. It's crazy how quickly they drop. And Pecorine last year is a good example. And that just shows why are you going to – it's kind of like uh, – closers in fantasy baseball where if you're chasing the guy having the good year now you're doing it wrong you should be looking for the next version right so instead of keeping darcy kemper look for the next darcy kemper whoever that's going to be uh this question is from hurley hollywood i'm just going to say bet on the columbus blue jackets goalies yes of course exactly that's right uh hurley hollywood asks what is a stat you'd like to see added most to hockey pool platforms it's interesting because we have seen uh, some cool advancements and i think now we get a lot closer to approximating you know every facet of the real game because you can have hits and blocks and i love all that stuff it's a way because i always thought it was kind of strange that penalty minutes were like your toughness category because in real life penalty minutes is not is, is a bad thing so it's like it'd be like giving points for interceptions as a positive thing in, in or, or penalty yards in, in football for your, you know, your fantasy football league doesn't make sense. So I like that trend. I think you could take it further, you know, so maybe it's face off percentage, which I believe some leagues already let you use, but it'd be fun to see. So we have power play points uh, as a category. And yes, you have shorthanded points, but they're pretty fluky. I think it'd be cool to do something like, you know, if there are players that are frequent penalty killers, maybe they have to have a certain minimum, but you know, penalty kill percentage by the player or maybe you start getting into the more advanced stats like Corsi against or you know shot suppression numbers. Overall, it's probably still too soon to get something that specific, but I like the idea of finding a way in your pool to to get a better reading of, of a player's defensive ability in terms of just adding a category that might think, make things uh, interesting. Uh, let's see what else we have here. We've got, uh, this one is from just Yan. I like it, Yan. Yan sounds like a adult contemporary musician. Yan. And Yan asks, 
I've been a commissioner to a head-to-head league for 10 years with a committed group. We are looking to do a keeper league. Uh, the past standings dictate the following draft order. How would I approach this in our fantasy draft? Well, okay, so I'm in a keeper league, and, and we we switched from a regular league to a keeper league a few years ago, and it actually really fixed our league, saved our league, made our league way more engaged. So I think it's a smart decision, first of all. Uh, and I think the main thing that we did that produced that positive change was uh, not only bringing in keepers, but limiting the number of keepers you can have. So the way we did that is if you finish first, if you're in, if you're a finalist in the league, you can only keep two players. If you make the playoffs, you can keep three. If you miss the playoffs, you can keep four. Because that keeps things a little bit cyclical. You don't have one team that's just hoarding all the best players and then never being able to, to get rid of them or keeping them forever. So we limit the number of keepers, but also we limit the, the amount of years you can keep a player. So we have contracts. And that makes it really fun. Because A, if you don't have contracts, you can if you have unlimited keepers, I think it kills trading. Because you have a, you have someone that has Connor McDavid, and they just say, no, no, I'm not trading. And, and they're never going to trade Connor McDavid. Who's going to trade Connor McDavid? And it kills activity. You get people that are stubborn. They don't want to make trades. But what happens is if you have, so in our the league I'm in, the main league, it's, a, it's three-year terms. So what you have is you have a wild trade deadline where you have seller teams that are trying to add guys who have a lot of years left on their deals. And the buyer teams are willing to mortgage the future, trade picks to get guys who are on expiring deals. And I actually wrote this down. So my my league's trade deadline was last week. And we had 12 trades that week, which is pretty cool. For you know, I don't think that many fantasy leagues have 12 trades in the span of one week. But the reason why it happened is because of the contract terms and all the guys getting traded were guys on expiring deals. So you get the actual deadline frenzy which is just like real life, which can be bad if you're trying to get work done. <laughs> Sorry, my boss, Jason. Uh, but, it, you know, it, it's it's fun. It's a great experience, and it feels like the real thing. So I highly recommend it. Uh, let's see here. Okay, this is from Matt Sutherland. And Matt asks, is Bowen Byram a lock to make the Avalanche next season? Bowen Byram is uh, about as good as it gets when it comes to NHL prospects who are already drafted. We are completing our future watch special edition where we grade every team's Steven's fist pumping grading every team's uh, farm system and and all the nhl affiliated prospects in the league we're working on it right now i'm not going to tell you exactly where bowen byram is going to finish but i'll tell you it's going to be very high and kale mccarr was our number one prospect last year so the avalanche have an embarrassment of riches sam gerard's already on the team you've got connor timmons as well they're loaded so a couple things to note when it comes to Bowen Byram. Uh, one, as pointed out by our prospect expert, Ryan Kennedy. I'm pointing because he's in the distance right now in our office. Uh, yeah, he threw a pointing through a door. But uh, Byram will still be uh, not just eligible, but required to play major junior next year if he's not in the NHL. So he's a nine gamer. That means that it's pretty likely we're going to see him based on his talent level, his all-around game, puck-moving skill. He's probably going to get that nine-game look at minimum next year. And then it's a matter of, you know, does he show enough to make the team? I wouldn't bet against it. The only thing is there's a bit of a logjam. And if you look at the left side of the defense, you know, a guy like Nikita Zadorov and Ian Cole as well, you have to find a way. Who are you going to push out to fit a buyer in? The Avalanche already have such good puck movers. You have to be careful that you don't get redundant. Um, that said, Zadorov being a restricted free agent, there have been a lot of rumors that he might get traded. So maybe if Zadorov gets traded, that opens up a spot for Byram and the Avs just go with a more mobile blue line. You know, you have a guy like Ryan Graves who's been a big success kind of calming things down on the defensive side. So maybe it, maybe it works. I don't know. If I had to place a bet right now, I think he's going to make the team because he's going to get that shot, the nine-game rule. And I just think 
if he's given that much time, he's going to show how good he is because he really is that good. He's got a really well-rounded game. So I, I say yes, but it's it's not a guarantee that he makes it. Uh, I think we've got one more here for now, unless you want to get into question at the buzzer. Okay, so while I'm answering this last one, shoot your shot and try and get one more question in if you have one. This is from Eddie Vanguard. And Eddie says, should I drop Vasilevsky for David Ayers? Just kidding. Good one, Eddie. Uh, what is your ideal size for overall players on a keeper team roster? I play with 10 skaters and two goalies and four keepers, but I want to try it with more players. Well, the first thing, Eddie, it's hard to tell the context of your league because you got to tell me how many teams are in the league. Uh, but personally, I am a fan of a bigger league with bigger rosters because I like anything that promotes activity between the GMs, not between the GM and the waiver wire. He just said eight teams. Eight teams. Okay, that's way too small. Eight teams and 10 skaters, 80 skaters. That's just an all-star team for everybody. Okay, and I think that's the setup that creates no or, or much much less activity because if you're in an 80 skater league and you're, someone sends you a trade offer, you can say, well, should I take this trade? Oh, wait, no, look, uh, here's Tyler Toffoli on the waiver wire. Here's Jason Zucker. There's so many good players that are sitting out there that it, I think it, it turns everybody's best friend into – the waiver wire becomes everyone's best friend and – you don't have to compete and, and try and you know risk assisting another team or boosting them because you can find just this endless cornucopia of good players on the wire. Same when it comes to goalies. But if you're in a bigger league, so the, I, I play in a 16-team league, it starts two goalies. That's 32 goalies, right? So every starting goalie in the league is on a roster. And when you have scarcity among rosters, this is universal in my opinion for all fantasy sports, not just hockey. You've got to create scarcity to promote activity if people if the rosters are, are really big then and, and the, the waiver wire is relatively barren the only way you're going to improve your team is by calling someone else or texting someone else and talking trade with them which i think in it imitates real life more you know teams can find a guy they can find a guy claim a guy you know a zach bogosian for example tampa bay in the middle of the season but for the most part the impact players all are on NHL rosters. So you have to make a trade to make a big change to your team. And I think the most fun pools are the pools that imitate real life the most. So I think go, I would double or even triple the size of that, that pool. So go, you know, go real size rosters, go 12. You have to, you know, start 12 forwards and six D and, and have two goalies in your active lineup, something like that. And I think you'll get a much more active uh, league. And unless there's someone else coming in at the buzzer, I think, yes, oh, one. one more. Uh, from Kenny McGill. Kenny McGill. He said, Jonathan Drew has no points in his last 10 games. Is there any chance of him rebounding before the season ends, or should I give up on him? Well, from what I understand, I think Jonathan Drew is hurt right now. And to prove this is live, I just want to, I, I'm going to double check that. But the last I saw, I thought he's banged up. That's what I thought. So that might be, that might explain this. But again, I'm proving that this is live to see if I'm crazy. Yeah, he's day-to-day with his, his ankles bothering him, okay? So that's one reason why he's probably struggling. Um, but the thing is, yeah, with Drouin, I, I think, you know, so far he has not hit the in the immense ceiling he was supposed to have when he was drafted in 2013. Uh, but he's, I think he's settled in as a good player, but just not a great player. I think the problem is there are certain expectations attached to Drouin because he was a big name. He was a big name as a major junior playing with Halifax as well. Uh, but I just think maybe it's time to temper expectations and understand that Durant is a 50-point player. I, I think the only way we're going to see a different version of Durant is if he gets another change of scenery but ends up you know, in a situation where he's playing a regular shift with an elite center. Uh, and I know he the- 
theoretically he had those chances in Tampa, but he was younger then. So you, you could see a career year down the road from Durant on a new team with a top-end center if he gets his chance. Uh, you know, maybe like a, a McKinnon reunion down the road or whatever, you know, something like that. But uh, I, I think that just we have to accept who he is. And it's, it's, a, it's a decent player, but he's not going to be the star of your fantasy team. I was going to say, uh, is it maybe maybe he was carried just a little bit by Nathan McKinnon in their draft year? Yeah, it's possible. Just a little bit? It's possible, yeah. Yes. And, and I do think there were some developmental problems that messed him up where, you know, he was sent back to junior to learn to play center and then he was brought back and then didn't have to play center and all that kind of stuff. So he's had a bit of a rocky road that slowed him down. He's settled in. He's had a good career, but just not an elite career, especially if you look at the guys that were picked around him in that draft, you know, McKinnon and Sasha Barkov and Seth Jones. Uh, so a bit of a tough beat there for Tampa when they picked him. Uh, and I think that's it for the fantasy podcast for this week. Uh, I assume most of your trade deadlines have passed, so that's why the, the waiver wire is important right now. So good luck, and hopefully some of those guys who are traded in real life are available. Go get them. Thank you. Thank you.